Welcome to another episode of Settlement Nation. I am Courtney Barber and I'm joined today by my co-host Chris Boer as well as our guest Dan Shah. Now Dan is a trial attorney at Carpenter, Zuckerman and Raleigh and trial lawyers for justice and has multiple six and seven figure verdicts including the largest personal injury verdict in the history of Santa Cruz County. Go Dan. He has also been recognized by super lawyers as a rising star and in 2018 as a super lawyer. In addition, Dan is also on the teaching faculty of Trial by Human with Nick and Courtney Rowley, teaching trial skills to other attorneys. Welcome to Settlement Nation, Dan. Great. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you, Chris. It's nice to be here. It's great to have you. So we want to start off, I have to say, I think you probably have the most interesting origin story of anyone we've had on here so far. Um I read in your bio that you started off as a scuba instructor in the Cayman Islands, as well as getting your 50-ton master captain license, which I don't even know what that is. So I want to know how that happened, how you decided you're going to do that, and then from there, how you left drinking pina coladas all day to transitioning to becoming a trial lawyer. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I know it's, it's, it's interesting, especially because I grew up in the Midwest about as far away from the ocean as you could be. Um, no, I mean, I just sort of fell into it. I, uh, the, my undergrad program here in California had this great scuba diving program. So I got certified and realized that, eh, you know, that could do this for a while and worked my way up, became an instructor and then, you know, got the bug to travel and uh, was fortunate enough to land at a, a great spot on the East end of Grand Cayman called Ocean Frontiers. And uh, what was going to be a six month stint turned into almost four years and, you know, worked my way up and got my captain's license. That's what the 50 ton master is. And, um, you know, it just, it, it was what it was. And, um, but I think what kind of drew me back to the law was, um, you know, when you spend a lot of time on an Island, um, you see sort of the, the, the way that the government can really affect a lot of things. And, um, for me in particular, I saw how it affected the underwater environment, both in good and bad ways. And, um, the Caymans are also not the cheapest place in the world. So there was a lot of lawyers that came down there and, uh, one thing led to another and, and I, I finally got the book and the guys that I was talking to said, Hey, do you want to make a difference? Go to law school. So, there it was. I, I traded in the, the flip-flops and, and the long hair and um, cut my hair, put on some lace-up shoes. And then for those of you that know me now, I've grown my hair back out again. <laughs> so <laughs> um, it is what it is. But yeah, that's kind of where it all came to fruition. And and, and here we are. So uh, Dan, we're really big on results here on the Settlement Nation podcast. And usually we talk about it a little bit later on in the in the episode. But one of the results uh, that you had really stood out, and I, I wanted to talk about it on, on the front end of the show, which is a $2.8 million verdict you got in 2016 on a slip and fall case. It's one of the largest in the state of California's history. The perception of slip and falls are that they're usually smaller cases. So that's why it stood out to me how, how large of a verdict that you got. So can you walk us through that case and what made that result such a large recovery? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it's interesting because early on in my career, I had that same type of perception where I, I avoided slip and fall and trip and fall cases like the plague. Um, and in fact, I spent a lot of time as a defense attorney early in my career. Um, and of course, as a defense attorney, I loved them because, you know, they're, they're, they're hard cases. 
Um, in this particular case, what made it especially difficult um, was we had no witnesses um, to our client and uh, falling into it really was it was really more of a trip and fall case where she stepped into a hole, twisted her ankle, and suffered a, a pretty catastrophic break. And um, you know, no witnesses. In fact, her testimony was was pretty scattered on how it even happened. Um, but the driving force behind that case was that she had multiple surgeries and unfortunately developed um, complex regional pain syndrome or CRPS, which is a is just a, a terrible, terrible condition. And so it resulted in her requiring. Uh, lifelong pain management, um, and it just—it just was really a terrible, terrible injury. And so, um, we were able to paint a, a, just a beautiful human story about this woman that our, our Santa Cruz jury uh, really latched onto, and um, that's that's kind of what drove the numbers. And so, you know, these slip and fall cases, um, when when people fall, bad things happen. And especially people as they get older, um, you know, our client was in her, her late fifties, which isn't old. Um, but I think someone that might've been a teenager or in their twenties probably wouldn't have been hurt as bad. So, um, yes, I understand the misconception, but, um, a bad enough fall can result in, in just these terrible life altering injuries. And that's what happened here. Yeah. So it looks like in our research that, uh, you have a background as a EMT, how does that influence your practice? Maybe how did it influence that case that you just spoke about? And, and how does it influence you representing your clients? Yeah, I think that um, because of the area of, of law that I'm in, you know, representing injury, injury victims, um, there's a lot of medicine that gets involved in our cases. And uh, a lot of unique and sometimes terrible things can happen to the human body when they're, they're put through trauma. And so the EMT background just sort of gives me a better grasp initially on uh, the physiology and the anatomy. And I, I think in turn that provides me with the opportunity to speak to medical experts and, 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 and the people that oftentimes control the, the ability for us to prove up our damages uh, kind of on their level. I, you know, I don't pretend to be a doctor, obviously I didn't go to medical school, but having the EMT training does help because it's, yes, I know what that bone is. I know what that ligament is. I know where, where that part of the body is. And so that's, that's what helped has helped me a lot um, on that part. And then it also helps me talk to the clients and I can actually understand what, what they've actually, what they're suffering from, because I know what part of the body that is. And I don't have to look it up in a book. And that's super fascinating. And for anyone who's listening and hasn't met Dan, but you'll all know lots about him from this. He's one of the most calm people you'll ever meet. So um, if I twisted my ankle or fell down a hole, I would hope that Dan would be the one that would show up and keep me from screaming. Um, so just on that note of influencing other people, you're on the faculty of Trial by Human and you coach other attorneys. And some of them are not, you know, they're not even just newbies. They're very experienced attorneys. But you t teach them trial skills and how to be better in the courtroom. What are some of the common areas of development that you have seen where when they focus on it, they get a lot better results in the end? You know, I think the the part in it, it's, it's, it's something that, that I think about a lot. It, that law school does a, a, a terrible job of keeping the human in the lawyer. Um, it sort of pounds it out of you. And so oftentimes what I see um, if, if, if an attorney comes into to a trial by human seminar and, and really needs a help, it, it's, it, it's getting back to that human point. And you kind of brought it up, Courtney, is, is the, the newbies, so to speak, are actually 
easier and they're better because they haven't developed a, a career's worth of bad habits. Um, they're still a lot closer to the human they were before law school. And so what I've found is the best place that these lawyers can make progress is by taking the lawyer out of their practice and 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 just just talking like a human being. And you know, a lot of times we focus in on voir dire because that's really where the connection happens. But um, I'll, I'll tell people, you know, I, I think when we were in Colorado about a year ago, um, I remember telling my group, I said, when you get on your plane to fly home, um, I want you to talk to the stranger in the seat next to you. Um, and that's voir dire. That's all it really is, is just communicating with people on a human level. And so th that's what I've really found is, is the biggest, the thing that helps lawyers get better the most is to actually bring the human back in and talk to people and, and not worry about what somebody thinks about you not worry about, you know, all the, all the BS that, that is all consuming for us as lawyers and thinking about the next question, but just, just talking to people and, and listening. And um, I heard an analogy many years ago when I was back in my scuba diving days, which was, you know, we have we have one mouth and two ears it's because we should be listening twice as much as we're talking. And and that's kind of the, the, the thing that we try to teach people is listen to what your your jurors and your clients are telling you. And you're going to learn a whole lot and you're going to become not only a better lawyer, but a better person. And that's such a good tip. And I think that's something that I've seen at Trial by Human, you know, seeing you teach as well is that. I think a lot of the attorneys are so busy focused on what their next question is going to be. They miss what people are actually telling them because they want to get everything out in a certain amount of time. So that's such um, great tips there. And on that note too, you know, when you work with people, what are your thoughts on tackling cases as a team versus a more individual approach? You work with a bunch of different firms and you have people that help you and help write up your cases, but you also probably have ones that you work on by yourself, how does it differ between both? Um, you know, it's if I could, if I had my way, um, I would never work a case by myself ever again. <laughs> um, it's just, it's, it's. I know what I'm good at, and I know what I'm bad at, and um, you know, the team approach is something that unfortunately early in my career I, I didn't really have uh, a lot of good mentors uh, it took me a while uh, to finally get associated with a good group of trial lawyers um, that helped mentor mentor me in in the, the the benefits of the team approach and so um, and that's not to say I know that not everybody has access to that and so the the, the way I would say that if you're going to handle cases individually um, you know know what you're good at and um, and, and don't take on cases that, that you know you're not good at. Um, but but if you get a case that comes through your door that that you'd like to take on, don't be afraid to reach out. That's the, the beauty of, of the plaintiff side, in my opinion, is that most of us work on contingency, which basically means we spend years working for free in the hopes that at the end of the case, we're actually going to get paid. Defense lawyers don't do that. Defense lawyers expect to bill and they want to be paid you know, within 30 days. And so just by our nature, Plaintiffs' lawyers are accustomed to working for free, and so, and I found that that helps build this camaraderie, and that I can pick up the phone. And you know, literally twenty minutes ago, I was on the phone with Nick Rowley talking about a case. And um, you know, as soon as I get off this call, I'm going to be on another call with another co-counsel. And it's it's just it's it's really beautiful how plaintiffs' attorneys can come together and, and collaborate. So um, that's sort of my long way of answering your question of I don't like working cases by myself because I don't think I do as well by myself versus how I do in a team. So switching gears a little bit, so Courtney and I both work for Independent Life, and 
what Independent Life is, is a structured settlement provider, not only for structured settlement payments for uh, clients, injury victims, but also for attorneys. And I know that uh, you have elected to structure your fees in the past. So I wanted you to maybe speak a little bit about why you did that and how that's helped you in your practice. Uh, yeah, it's it's something that, uh, you know, going back to my, my early days, the, the one good thing I learned from one of my first bosses uh, was this this ability that we have to structure fees. And of course, I didn't know anything about it. And um, that taught me early on that you can utilize um, the, the, the fee structure to not only, you know, avoid those, the, the five letter word of taxes, um, but more importantly, it allows you for, for adequate business planning. Um, you know, the, the, the plaintiff's practice oftentimes can be peaks and valleys, feast or famine, and you can have a really good year followed up by a, a slow year. And, and oftentimes, especially in a firm where, where I work, where I tend to handle a very small caseload, but uh, very good cases. Um, when you have fewer cases, um, you're spending a lot of time working cases up. And while you're working those cases up, you're not necessarily making the money. So by structuring the fees, it allowed us to forecast out. And, um, you know, candidly, uh, COVID has had no effect on, on me and my office at all. Um, and I think the reason for that is last year we were very smart and we, we forecast for the next 12 to 18 months, not obviously not knowing about COVID, but we forecast through all this. And so even though things slowed down, money was still coming in because we had structured. And so, you know, I utilize it uh, to not only support the business, but it also takes a lot of stress off me because I can look at it and be like, hey, if this is a bad month or maybe I want to take a week off, I'll be okay because we've got that money coming in. Um, but it does require some some forecasting and it also requires you to understand, hey, you get a big settlement and maybe it's you don't want to take all that money out. Maybe you want to think think ahead. And so and I know sometimes that can be difficult because especially as lawyers, you know, we ought to have the nice new flashy cars and all this stuff. So um, you have to you have to take your you, you take a step back and look at it. So um, that that's how I've utilized structures and it's it's made the last six months relatively easy. Yeah, we, we've heard a lot of feedback from attorneys this year who really are going to think twice about taking that big fee moving forward because of the business interruption that COVID has and who knows what the next thing down the road will be. So it's definitely gotten uh, attorneys to think about it a lot more. Um, another tool I wanted to talk to you about, because I know you've used them, is uh, qualified settlement funds. So for our listeners that don't know what a qualified settlement fund is, it's a uh, it's a tool that's in the tax code that essentially acts as a holding tank for settlement funds where the defendant or their insurer pays directly into the QSF. And then that provides time for uh, the attorneys and the uh, plaintiffs to decide what they want to do with the money. So I wanted to see, since you have used them, if you could talk a little bit about why you use them and, and how they've helped you as well. Yeah, and it kind of dovetails into... That what we were just talking about with, with structuring things is that it gives you that option, you know, um, and it, it's, it's a rarity. And I'm talking even on little cases. And, and when I say little, I'm talking cases that settle in, in the five figure range. Um, it is rare that we don't use a QSF. And, and, and the reason for that is, yes, there is a fee. You know, that's the biggest, uh, biggest complaint I've heard about lawyers when I talk about QSFs is, well, I have to pay, you know, a thousand bucks to set the thing up. And which is true, but I look at it and it's like, well, you know, if I'm going to pay a thousand dollars in taxes, you know, 
it, it's worth it to me to, to pay the, the fee to the QSF to get it set up so that I can decide, hey, do I want to take this 10, 20, $50,000 fee now, or do I want to take it and keep it in a QSF and decide what to do at the end of the year? And it also allows the clients time too. So, um, you know, clients don't have to decide if they want to structure right away. Um, the money can sit there. And I've had a, a lot of clients that'll put money in there and then they'll sit on it for a few months. They'll take a little bit out in cash and then they'll work with a structure agent um, to get something set up, you know, and, and get these guaranteed payments. And so um, it, it provides huge benefits because it gives you time. Um, you know, it used to be you settle the case and the defense wants to know if you're going to structure it right away. They force you to work through their broker. They get a cut of it. Um, and it has to be invested the way they want it to be with just a few few options. And it's a decision that has to be made really quickly. QSFs give you time. And, and it's been a huge benefit for us. And then uh, for, for us on a personal level, you know, I look at it in November. How much money do I have in QSFs? How much cash do I need to pay my taxes for next year? And I take that money out in cash and then the rest of it goes into a QSF that, that then funds me for the next year, two, five, ten, however however it's out. And you could choose. You know, I've got two two little kids that I'm going to have to pay for college here in, in 15 to 18 years. Um, you know, I take a little chunk of money and I put it out 15 years. Um, it's going to grow. And then I've got a little bit of college paid for. Um, so it gives you a lot of options. And um, I would I would recommend everybody look into it. Talk to somebody. If you have questions about it, feel free. Give me a call. I'll talk you through it. Um, I think it's a great thing. Um, take advantage of it. It's 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 wonderful. That's fantastic, and we'll definitely highlight that that in the show notes for any attorneys listening. And and thank you, Dan, for for explaining it so well. Um, because that's one of the things that we find is that people think it's this really difficult, complex tool and it's not something that's user-friendly, but it actually is. And you're using it in both professionally and personally so well. And something actually that wasn't on our original questions, but it's like a two-part. Yesterday when we did our episode with Keith Bruno, he brought up a case where um, it was sort of everlasting on him sort of after working with the, the client and getting the verdict. It resonated with him a long time after that happened. So that's what I wanted to ask you. Is there a case that you've worked on where it still affects you years later or it's something that you, it really helps you keep going in this profession? You know, I think that, um, that the, the, the best plaintiff trialers and I've got, you know, Keith and I are, are like brothers, you know, he and I went to the trialers college together. And I, I mean, it's, I have a tremendous amount of personal and professional respect for him and, and Nick and, and a lot of the, you know, Brian Ward and a lot of these guys that, that I've been really fortunate to work with. And in my opinion, the, the best plaintiff lawyers are the ones that, that carry these cases with them and they don't let it run their lives. You, you can't, you can't take it on that, that much. Um, to where it is is completely changing your life, but you know, I I remember all my wins and I remember all my losses, and um, the the you know I'm still friends. Some some of my you know my, one of my biggest verdicts, I still get texts from from my client and and his wife, you know, just checking in because you know they've become like family, and so you know I think that if you're going to be um, if you're going to be 
a successful plaintiff lawyer. And I don't necessarily mean that from a financial standpoint. I mean that from a human standpoint. Um, you have to be able to connect with your clients. You have to treat them like family. And it, it's the only way that you can really move to get full justice for them. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of clients that, that I, uh, that we still text and we still talk. Um, and, and I'm sure we will until, until the day we die, you know? And do you have any cases right now, obviously without giving too many details that are in your pipeline or that you're working on or that you think are going to be, um, you're going to get some great justice for the clients? We do. We have a few, um, you know, it's, um, I've, I've got a couple that I've been fortunate enough to work with Nick Rowley on. Um, probably the one that I'm the most interested in right now is um, we represent a young man who was interning uh, with Goldman Sachs in San Francisco uh, years ago and unfortunately was involved in a, an assault um, between uh, one of his supervisors. Um, and it, it's just made it past the demur stage. We were we successfully opposed uh, Goldman Sachs's demur. And so the case is, is in full litigation in San Francisco. And I think the thing about that case that I'm, I'm the most um, intrigued by is I think we're going to find out a lot about the corporate culture uh, at Goldman Sachs. Um, you know, I don't want to throw out any blanket accusations, but we're learning a lot. And, and I think that it's um, that hopefully we can get justice for our client. Uh, but I think that that will also hopefully have ramifications for the corporate culture that we're learning about um, and, and make that company a better place for people to work at in the future. So we're really excited about that. That's a case that um, that Nick and I are handling with our co-counsel, uh, Bill Green and, and uh, uh, Caitlin Sharp up at Delfino Green and Green up in uh, North Bay. So that'll be a case that'll probably get tried next year um, in, in San Francisco County. So that's probably one of the, the, the big ones. Um, but uh, you've got a few others that uh, hopefully things will go well and we'll be able to um, to take care of these people for the rest of their lives for the ones that need it. So Dan, we've reached the final question, which is the question we ask all of our guests, which is what is something that you know now that you're like, man, I wish I knew that five or 10 years ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's, there's so many, so many things. Um, but you know, if I had to put one thing on it, it's, and I kind of touched on this early is um, be yourself, be, be a human. Um, you know, uh, early on in my career, um, you know, before I had the opportunity to, to actually work with Nick, you know, I, I spent a lot of time looking at his, his videos and Jerry Spence and, you know, Mo Levine and all these, all these lawyers that have just done tremendous work and got tremendous justice. And I was convinced that I had to be just like them, that the only way you could get, get success is if you uh, were exactly like that. You spoke just like Jerry, or you, you had the mannerisms or you, you, you wore the, wore the boots into the courtroom. And, um, and I learned through a lot of losses that, um, that jurors see right through that and your clients see right through that too. And you owe your clients um, more than that. And, and so the, the lesson I, I learned and I was fortunate enough to learn it, not, not recently, but a long enough time ago to, to implement it is just be who you are. Um, take the lessons from other people, you know, learn from their mistakes. Um, if they come up with a great idea, take it um, and try to um, uh, adopt it, but make it your own. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to be who you are in a courtroom. 
Um, if you're trying to be fake, the jurors will smell it. They see right through it. And, and so, yeah, that, that would be, be my advice is just, just you're, you're perfect as who you are, be yourself, be human. Um, and, and I think that you'll find a lot more success both personally and professionally if you do that. Well, that's great advice. We want to thank you very much, Dan, for coming on. If, if any of our listeners want to, uh, contact you, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? So uh, email is always the best. It's, it's dshar, which is D-S-C-H-A-A-R at czrlaw.com. That's always the best way. And uh, you know what? I'll go crazy. You can have my cell phone as well, which is 408-540-8343. Um, usually it's best to send me a text. Um, I, I very rarely answer my phone um, and the voicemail is almost always full. So shoot me a text and uh, I'll get back to you just as quickly as I can. Well, that's great. Thank you so much again. And for all of our listeners, thank you for listening. We encourage you to like, uh, review, subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast so that those that are searching for great legal content uh, will find us. And we look forward to our next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you.